we might have three MBA programs, right? And each one might have very different audiences underneath each, right? So, you know, like, so I think when you look at it from that perspective, I think it, number one, it illustrates the importance to, to customize your approach and to customize your, you know, not only the messaging for those audiences, but how you're going to engage with them because of an MBA at University of San Diego versus Tulane, those audiences could be really different. Welcome to Attention Retention, a special podcast series on how to attract, enroll, retain, and empower the modern learner. Brought to you in partnership with our friends at Archer Education. Over the course of this series, we will cover higher ed's product problem and discuss how to fix it, the challenges with major and program relevance in today's dynamic market, how to successfully attract, enroll, and retain adult learners, and how to compete in a market when your school doesn't have a national brand. This series is co-hosted with Angie Moore, the Senior Vice President of Student Engagement, and Clayton Dean, the Senior Vice President of Agency and Partnership Management at Archer. And also with yours truly, Zach Buzicruz here from Enrollify. Attention Retention is comprised of six episodes, but the content doesn't need to be consumed sequentially. That said, if you want to listen in chronological order, be sure to scroll on down to the show notes where you'll find every episode listed and linked. Getting attention is hard enough, so once you have it, you've got to do everything that you can to harness it. And that's what our friends at Archer Education help schools do so dang well. Well, you'll get a taste of some of their ideas on how to optimize marketing and recruitment strategies over the course of this series in order to really learn more about how Archer revolutionizes the student experience through marketing, enrollment, and retention services, you'll want to check out the content hub that they built exclusively for Enrollify subscribers. You can find this content hub at archeredu.com forward slash Enrollify. Again, that's archeredu.com forward slash Enrollify. All right, without further ado... Welcome to Attention Retention. All right, guys, how we doing? Clayton, Angie, give me, give me, give me like a on a scale of one to ten, like how how are we feeling right now about like this this next episode? Like one being, I just want to hang up the Zoom link now and get out of here, and ten being like, I'm ready to just talk all about you know attracting, enrolling, and and retaining adult learners. Rank yourself. Where where are we at? I mean, I'm probably at like a nine. I have some, I'm going to nerd out a little bit on a few topics. So um, I'm pretty excited about that. A nine, I'll take yeah, I love this. I love this uh, episode topic. I feel like this is what Clayton and I sit around and talk about most mm-hmm. of the time. So I, I'm going to be a 9.5 because I'm going to one up Clayton a little bit. Oh, I like it. But... I like it. <laughs> Competitive right off the yeah. bat. Uh, this is going right. to be good. This is going to be good. <laughs> Um, well, well, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to talk about this topic too, because it's one of the topics that we have quite frankly, just like not spoken enough about in, in Rollify podcast network land. And it's something that's becoming increasingly important just in light of all of the trends that our audiences are, are well-versed in, especially for those who are really focused on new revenue streams and thinking differently about the lifelong learner, as opposed to just recruiting the next class. So you guys are the experts here and, um, excited to, to dive into this topic as well. I thought it would be helpful to start just kind of laying some groundwork, uh, a foundation, so to speak, around when you guys hear the terms adult learners or, or this degree completion audience, 
right? Um, folks who have a little bit of college under the belt, but they haven't finished a, a degree and where they're just non-traditional learners. If, if you had to kind of break these, the, we, we tend to talk about this as like one holistic group. And obviously like that's not the best way to talk about it since there's lots of different persona groups that exist within this large group of, you know, 70 plus million uh, U.S. adults. So talk to us a little bit about how you guys would break up the adult learner into three or four different persona groups. How, how do you guys think about this at Archer? Yeah, so, you know, first off, and Angie and I, I don't know, what was this a week ago when we realized that Gen Z is actually part of, like, the adult learner group? Was it Gen Z? I can't remember. But, like, yeah, yeah, you know, there's a, right. yeah totally could be. Yeah, 25, 26, yeah. Yeah, 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 we're like, yeah that's wow. right. That, so 25 pretty... and older is technically an adult learner. So, yeah. Right. So like the the, t- the top end of that. So Angie, wh- why don't you kick us off here? Talk to us a little bit about this this group. Like lay the foundation for us. How many people are we talking about here? And then how do you guys think about breaking up this, you know, millions and millions of, of adult students into three or four student persona groups um, just to kind of help us think think through the the – the differences between like who these, who these populations are? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And there's a lot to unpack there, but I want to start with, I think the first piece of what you said in terms of just the opportunity here or, you know, the size of this market. Um, Because I, I don't know if, if a lot of uh, institutional leaders realize, or maybe they do. And it's just, you know, in the past when we talk to clients, it's like, you know, we don't know, we have a lot of trouble figuring out how to market to the adult learner or the non-traditional learner. That's today, it actually makes up almost half of all students currently enrolled in, in colleges or universities. That's wow. in, according to NCES. In addition, there are more than 39 million Americans that have, I think you even alluded to it earlier, Zach, third, uh, sorry, attended college, but no degree. And that's up 3 million from just 2019 when it was 36 million. So the, just the size of this market in and of itself is huge. And I think the the takeaway there, just how important it is to understand that the entire uh, student population is shifting, right? Mm-hmm. They're different than it, even if you look at just non-traditional, not adult. And so that can be like undergrad students that have jobs. Um, you know, there's like five criteria, I think, to fit into non-traditional, which is kind of a subset of adult. That's 75% of enrollments today. So uh, just a huge market. So in terms of breaking them into personas, um, you know, I'll let Clayton speak to this a little bit more. I think at the highest level, you know, we don't really look at personas at that huge macro level, but I do think it's important to understand some of this, the key, like what makes up this demographic and what's important to them. And so, you know, the things that kind of we um, look at or have realized and understood from a lot of the research and, and, and even just um, data that backs, you know, our marketing, our lead nurturing and things like that um, are that, you know, you've got career changers, you've got those wanting more opportunities in their existing careers or to expand their careers. Um, and then you've got those that are, you know, really just trying to stay competitive yeah. um, within the field that they're in. And so I feel like there, you know, there's some high level things that you can take out of just, again, this overall shifting market. And the big takeaways, I think, are that, you know, um, education needing to be more workforce aligned. So helping prospective students like understand how your 
um, program can actually help them in their career, no matter what that, whether they're a career changer, et cetera. Um, what is the value speaking to outcomes? What can you do with this degree or certificate, even if it isn't, um, you know, necessarily specifically related to a job, but like even like higher earnings, things like that. Um, and then the flexibility. Um, but I think the thing to think about within that too, is that that's almost like a requirement, not necessarily something that's going to help you stand out. And so I think that's where, you know, personas and going a little deeper than just that, that macro level becomes a little more important. Clayton, I know you have a ton probably to say about it because again, this is kind of your right yeah. in your wheelhouse. <clears throat> you know, I think when we look at the macro personas, it's, there's key attributes of, of what we know is going to be important to them in a program, right? So that serves as a really good foundation. And really where that comes into play is like, landing page UVPs, right? Like we know that there's certain things that this adult alternative learner is going to care about, right? How long does it take to complete? What's the, what's the format? Is it asynchronous? You know, the, it, all those things that, you know, you see quite often. And I think that's, that's literally the kind of the, the point here I want to make is that everybody's going to utilize that kind of key attribute language, yeah, right? Yeah, in their yeah. marketing. And so I think what, the way we look at it is how do we take that as a baseline? We know what they care about, but let's take it a few levels deeper, right? Like let's try to understand and dissect those personas as they specific to a, a specific program. Um, and let's take those macros and let's, let's drill down a few layers deeper and really understand and engage with those individuals past just wanting to get a promotion or past just needing a flexible program. How are we really, you know, how can we really position this program to stand out in the market and connect with them in a way that's going to really get them excited and allow you to stand out amongst 10, 12, 20 different programs they might be looking at, right? Yeah, yeah. I, it's funny. I, I think Terry Flannery, who wrote the book, How to Market a University, she's a longtime CMO in, in higher ed. She talks a lot about, like, the difference between, like, table stakes and, like, UVPs, right? And how, like, when it comes to, like you know, virtual learning or hybrid learning, like those are table stakes. Like those aren't differentiators with respect to your program, right? Those are, those are things that are just expected from, from students today. And so I think drilling yep. down into, into a specific layer of like, okay, if this is, if this is what every program has, what do we have that others don't have? So I'm curious it, it, when you guys think about sort of like the messaging that, that works and, and I'm interested in, in really, I guess, drilling into two key audiences here. One is sort of like the, uh, the, the, the students that haven't finished their undergraduate degree, right. Um, but might be able to do so with, with like an online program, like what is, mm -hmm. what is sort of like the messaging and, or the, the marketing mix that works well with that audience. And then I want to like contrast that with, you know, students who do have completed their bachelor's, but might not be considering a master's degree, but you know, we're, we're heading into a, you know, knock on wood, but you know, heading, heading into a recession here. And you know, if, if history serves us any sort of, uh, if history is helpful at all, oftentimes we see like this uptick in graduate education, um, when, when, when there's a recession. And so like we're living through like in real time, this interesting intersection point, this interesting juncture where, students who might not currently or a year ago might have not even thought about grad school might be thinking about it now. So tackling like those two audiences, those two kind of like macro groups in and of themselves, how do you all think about differentiation with respect to marketing and communications when trying to recruit the degree completer um, and and then maybe the the career changer or, or even just sort of like the, the career augmenter, so to speak? I think when you look at those two groups, the 
the graduate level, the bachelor, those that, that have a bachelor's degree that are looking to graduate, we we might focus more on the story and their journey, right? And really, really trying to understand um, what is it that gets them excited? What is it that that really has them interested? Is it, you know, are they looking um, to solve food deserts in their local community, right? From a social work perspective you know, for a social work program, for example, you know, so we will play more into that and try to really uh, engage with them from a story-based perspective. I think the degree completers, to me, that's a much different story. I think we, we still integrate a lot of our storytelling work into that just to help from a differentiation perspective, but they're going to care a lot more of how many credits transfer. I think really our objective there is to get them engaged and get their questions answered as quickly as we can. So like the work that Angie does on the digital student experience side really comes into play, I think, for those individuals because they're, you know, they're hesitant. They're, they have a lot of questions around, you know, how many of my credits will transfer? How long is this going to take? How, how, how much is it going to cost? And I think it's much more almost transactional for that audience than mm. what we see for folks looking on the graduate side. And, and so that's always the challenge though, too, because you're looking at a, a multitude of different backgrounds and it's not always a one-to-one, you know, in terms of the groups that we're marketing to, we don't always have a really clear idea of who those groups are. So I think what we'll try to do is gather as much data. We'll kind of try to get an understanding of who is some of those baseline audiences are on the degree completion side and then try to learn as much as we can so we can continue to evolve that messaging to really hone in on what we're seeing is that's working and what's resonating with those audiences because it's you kind of run a little bit blind but um i think it is much more transactional and, and really our objective is to get them into the funnel where we can start helping deliver some of that you know responses to those questions and, and help them move along as, as quick as we can Last week, I finally finished season two of Ted Lasso. When the series had come to an end, it was only 9.45 p.m., which meant I had a solid 45 minutes before it was time to go to sleep. I don't know if there was a glitch in the recommendation algorithm or something, but there was no opportunity to keep watching Apple TV. I was engaged. I wasn't ready to go to bed. I was willing to give Apple more of my time because I wanted more Lasso-like content in my life. But they led me to a dead end. So I left and started browsing Netflix instead. And while the journey to enrollment for a student is quite different from binging an Emmy award-winning TV series, all institutions and streaming services actually care about the same thing. And that thing is attention. If you work in student recruitment, you're in the market for eyeball time. You're not just competing with other institutions, you're competing with every brand that's in the market for views, clicks, and scrolls from your target audience. Getting attention is hard enough. So once you have it, you've got to do everything that you can to harness it. And that's what our friends at Archer Education help schools do so dang well. Archer is pioneering a new era in personalized student recruitment through its story-driven and technology-enabled approach that's designed to support the entire enrollment process. And one of the ways that Archer is doing this is through Onward, their digital experience platform. Onward is a dead-end squasher. It's a choose-your-own-adventure-style experience that replaces your static thank-you pages with an always-on system that pre-qualifies every prospect, so your admissions team can focus their efforts on those inquiries that are engaged right now. Onward is the secret in the toolbox of top-performing admissions teams. It's the attention optimizer that keeps prospects engaged and inspires them to offer more context about who they are, what they want, and when they're looking to enroll. 
To learn more about how to harness attention when it's hot, visit archereducation.com forward slash Enrollify. Again, that's archereducation.com forward slash Enrollify. Oh, and if you're struggling to get attention from prospects, the Archer team has a plethora of digital advertising solutions in their arsenal that'll help you reach the precise students that you're looking for. And if you haven't discovered it already, Enrollify and Archer have partnered on a brand new podcast series called Attention Retention. Learn more about attention retention wherever you get your podcasts or at podcast.enrollify.org. Get attention, keep attention, hit your enrollment targets. Visit archereducation.com forward slash enrollify to learn more. Yeah, I like that uh, term that you used a minute ago, Zach, uh, t- the table stakes, you know, versus like UVPs, because I think at the at the more macro level, you know, you could make some assumptions and Clayton spoke to this a little bit too, that, you know, for degree completers, you know, a lot of times what we see is, you know, uh, more value put on, you know, support. How are you going to support them through like, you know, they're, they're needing to come back and complete their degree. How can you speak to um, how your institution can help support them? And also, you know, the value of actually of completing their degree where I think maybe on the grad side, again, again, macro level, you know, it could be more about the career aligned outcomes and what, you know, truly your grad degree, what doors it could open for you. But I really think, and this is along the lines of, you know, supporting what Clayton was saying too, too, excuse me, is that uh, I really think this is where the value of macro persona stops, because all of that really is just like, again, like, the, a box you may, need to make sure that you're checking it's table stakes. It's yeah. not going to necessarily help you stand out yeah. um, unless you have, you know, in, in terms of like support, a really um, great support program that you can speak to that's like well-known or something like that, unless you have something in, in the, along those lines at the macro level that really is a truly kind of standout experience, you really need to look at the specific programs how they align with your audience and especially even, and even if it's online, what regional, local and regional um, employers and jobs does it align with? Hmm. Um, how can you go look at the, the current student makeup that you have today and see, you know, um, for, for each of those programs, like what's important to them so that you can basically take that information, understand, you know, um, again, is it, you know, some personal alliance to, um, you know, if, if it's a master's in teaching, for example, equity in education, like if that's something that's really important to your students, how do you go out and make sure that that's part of your message? Um, you know, so I really do think that looking at things on a macro level is only going to get you, gosh, 15, so far, yeah. 20% of the way there. And you really do need to look at your specific, you know, programs and UVPs at that level beyond that. But again, it's, it's not that it's not important. I just don't, I would I would never advise anybody anybody to just go off of that at the there. at yeah. the macro persona level for yeah. sure. I, I'm curious. You guys are both um, uh, I think hitting on something really interesting, which is that while these audiences are are pretty distinct, they kind of do get roped into sort of like this adult learner category, even structurally, right? How a lot of institutions are structured, it's like grad and adult, right? Like grad and adult office um, handles recruitment for non traditional students, and then also. Um, uh, people that are pursuing their master's degrees. Clayton, one, one of the things you were getting at a second ago, which was which I thought was interesting, is for for the degree completion uh, audience here, people that have a little bit of college under the belt, but they never finished their degree for whatever reason, 
you mentioned it being a little bit, uh, the, the marketing communications that they need might be a little bit more transactional. Is it from, from a marketing standpoint, like, would it be fair to say that when we're talking with this audience generally, it's really more about casting a short term ROI picture, like a short, like telling, telling a story about like shorter term ROI. Whereas with a graduate degree, you might be able to get away with casting sort of a vision for, 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 for ROI, but a, a little bit more of like a longer term trajectory. Cause it would seem to me that like, if you, if you didn't finish your bachelor's right originally, for whatever reason, one of the primary, if not the primary reasons why you would return to school is so that you can as quickly as possible move out of your current reality. When it comes to the, the graduate audience, it's not always true that it's, that it needs to happen immediately, right? Like we, we talk about career changers, right? We talk about, you know, career augmenters, people that just kind of want to move up, right? They need a master's degree in order to make more money. But it, it, it would seem to me that at the macro level, the, the graduate audience, you can, as a, as a recruiter, right? As a, as a hired marketer, you can quote unquote, get away with, or maybe a, a, a smart tactic is to cast sort of a, a longer term vision of like what this will do, this degree will get you not next year, but five and 10 years from now. Whereas when we're talking about sort of like the, the, the degree completion audience, you kind of have to be really specific about like, Hey, you're yeah. here right now in three months when you finish, because you only have a couple credits left. This is where you could be. How, can you guys talk to us just a little bit about like how you think yeah. about that and how does that play into the marketing strategies and tactics that you all implement at Archer? Yeah, and I'll preface what I'm going to talk about here is I'm not an expert in behavioral economics, but we've we've been exploring this as as a way to help us better understand our audiences and deliver messaging that's kind of going that's going to get at the core of their subconscious decision making, right? Mm -hmm. And I think when you talk about Degree completers, um, there's a behavioral theory called, um, it's the endowment effect. It's virtually the future self, right? And I think, so what we tested, and, and this is something we still integrate in a lot of what we do, and there's there's so many theories to explore and a lot that we test here. Um, but one thing about future self is humans as a whole, you know, naturally have a, a hard time seeing our future self. We're kind of distanced from that future self. So I think when it comes to degree completers, we try to help them visualize where they can be in 24 short months yeah. and why they need to start now in order to get there, right? So we really try to help connect the dots there and help them visualize and put themselves in the shoes of that, of you know, their future self and help connect those dots. Um, because naturally it's, it's hard for them to imagine that. It seems like a big uphill battle it's, you know, 24 months sounds really long and it's really our job to help them get to that point to where they, you know, they feel like it's, it's not a, not this giant mountain. They can't, you know, they can't cross and, and help them, uh, you know, see what the other side looks like. Um, we did this. So we've used behavior economics in, in a couple of different ways. So the storytelling component, and this is where we really learned in the storytelling framework that we use where we learned how it was, you know, why it was so effective and, and kind of helping create empathy, especially, you know, for teachers and social work and those types of programs. Um, you know, we learned a lot about helping um, establish that empathy within our, our marketing and our creative and, and people really are attracted to that. It's a great way if you think about, you know, how you can stand out in the market, it's a really great way to do that. But um, yeah, so I think that future self aspect is really critical. So when you're looking at 
you know, when you're, when you're communicating with these individuals and engaging with them, that should really be your, your main priority. And if you look at how it's typically done, where it's more attribute based, even if you say it's 24 months, work at your own pace, whatever it might be, number one, everybody's saying that number two, there's still a disconnect for that individual um, and, and kind of understanding what it's really going to take and, and where they can go once they complete the degree. Yeah. Yeah. What, would you add anything to that, Angie? The only thing that I would add, because I completely agree with you, Clayton, is while you were talking, it made me think, you know, we use a lot of, and we try to use a lot of uh, test student testimonials for that very reason, right? How to connect, how to make sure you're making that personal connection and also just sharing those stories and helping others see this path that, you know, if somebody else that was working a full-time job and had kids and, you know, went back and finished their degree and came out the other side with a better career, if they can do this, then I can do this too. So hearing a lot of those stories of, you know, like, like-minded and people that are in similar situations and how well they've done I can't underscore that the um, impact of that enough, really. So if you have um, the ability to get student testimonials, obviously, you know, video is really powerful to to help see and hear people tell those stories. But even if you just have written snippets of testimonials from students that can help connect with, you know, more prospective students, um, I think those those types of things go a long way in just helping tell the story and connect on that level that, that Clayton was talking about in terms of future self, seeing someone come out on the other side um, and doing better for themselves is, is always gonna resonate really well. So yeah. one, um, one thing to add as we talk about future self, so we, we use something um, called the role model framework. So pretend, you know, I, I, like a master of art and teaching program, for example. So headline, who changed your life, body copy, who would you be without your teachers? Just as they made the difference for you, you can make the difference for someone else, right? Mm. So it's like, we'll, we'll kind of test different messaging like that just to get them thinking about, you know, connecting with, with you know, that end goal and help them visualize them helping somebody. You know, for, for teachers, that's that's usually a big driver for them, right? They're very, you know, they're, they're very people-oriented. Um, so we'll try to use messaging like that to engage those individuals and, and really, um, you know, use that role model as a proxy for their future selves in order for us to help close that gap between now and the completion of the program. That's a fantastic framework. And it's sort of a nice segue into, into my next question, just around how you all think, like, I, Angie, you made this great point earlier that like, one of the challenging things about thinking uh, about macro personas is it, is it barely gets you anywhere and only gets you so far. And like at the, at the end of the day, especially at the graduate level, and even the degree completion level, like people are uh, pursuing a specific program. They are, you know, interested in, for example, like social work, right? Like they, they could care less about like your university's like football team. Like they're really interested in getting this, you know, their, their MSW, for example, right? So as you guys think about the tactics that work well at the program level, like are there any interesting differences for example when recruiting a prospective like business student uh for for an mba program or uh you know uh, a master's of business analytics versus like an msw program versus a, a nursing program like i i'd be i'd be interested in any sort of thoughts or, or or data even if it's like anecdotal around like the strategies and tactics that work well when it comes to 
program recruitment for for different audiences because obviously your prospective nursing student is not the same as your prospective MBA student so any any sort of musings or, or ideas on things that you all have learned in in recent years around what works and what doesn't with individual program recruiting I'll say just given our pro the process we go through with with each new partner right so it's I'd say it's very similar in how we approach, but really the the work that we do in the first you know few weeks of, of a partnership to really dig in and understand those audiences is really where we where I think where a lot of a lot of the heavy lifting's done in terms of understanding these audiences. What's interesting is you might have an MBA, we might have three MBA programs, right? And each one might have very different audiences underneath each, sure. right? So you know, like, so I think when you look at it from that perspective, I think it, number one, it illustrates the importance to, to customize your approach and to customize your, you know, not only the messaging for those audiences, but how you're going to engage with them because uh, an MBA at University of San Diego versus Tulane, those audiences could be really different from where they're coming from, the, you know, the organizations they're part of and, and where they're trying to go, right? So, um you know, I'd say as a whole, we, we really put an emphasis on understanding those audiences as best we can. Um, and we usually launch with, you know, say five or six different personas. We know there's two or three that, you know, if we have historical data, we'll, we'll utilize our own, you know, experience and knowing, okay, we, we have a pretty good idea that these personas and these groups are going to are gonna perform pretty well. But we also look out, you know, we look outside the box in, in terms of, of who might be a good fit for a program. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think we, you know, there's anything we would do different to be honest between an MBA and an, and an MSW. It's more around defining those personas. And I think where the, the biggest difference would be is just in the engagement strategy. Right. And where, you know, a, a nurse is gonna, we, we, we'd engage with the nurse very differently than, than we would, uh, a, you know, a master's in supply chain program. Right. Yeah. So, um, but I think the framework of what we do, and I think we've built a process where it enables us to really get to the core of what makes a program unique, what the interesting kind of, you know, narrative and story is of that program, how that aligns to the different personas. And then we kind of customize it from there, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And Clayton, when you said, I think you said some like five personas, that's by program, right? So, you know, yep. th that yep. I think just goes to show the importance of you know, um, how you can't just take a sweeping approach with your marketing and advertising about your institution. It really does need to be program um, specific. And, you know, speaking a lot, again, to just the value and the outcomes, I think it's really important to those specific programs in your specific markets, um, you know, based on, on those outcomes. One thing that was coming to my mind, though, um, as you were speaking, is there are some things that I feel like institutions could do. And again, I feel like this falls more in line of like table stakes, but I still see a lot of institutions maybe not doing it or not doing it really well. And that's, there's like five key pieces of information that you need to have readily available for prospective students, especially adult learners and degree completers. If you think about kind of back to that idea of micro or excuse me, macro personas and, you know, um, the, I think one thing um, almost everybody has in common today is just that um, need for instant gratification and you want information now. So like these things need to be on your website, on your landing pages, in all your nurturing. And that's, you know, how much does this cost? That shouldn't be hard to figure out. Um, 
And I think a lot of institutions still don't make that super clear on their website, the time commitment, um, what you're going to learn in the structure of the classes, how to apply and enroll. Um, if those things aren't all really clear and easy to understand, it's kind of like, I think, like chewing gum in an interview. You know, if you don't do it, you're not going to necessarily get the job. But if you do do it, you're not going to. So you need to have those things readily available. If you think about just kind of the entire prospective student experience, have messaging that helps stand out, but make sure you're putting all these kind of table stakes pieces of information easily and readily available. Um, I know that's not what you asked, but it was just coming to my mind in terms of just all the different things I think that um, that it takes today to be not necessarily competitive, but to help create this experience with prospective students, especially adult and non-traditional learners. Yeah, yeah, at, you know, at, at the very least to like be on par with other with other folks. Right. Like, um, and yeah, I love this idea of like, you know, the, the future self, like the future self framework and thinking about what does that mean for the adult learner versus the degree completion audience? And I think that like, if I'm hearing you all correctly, it's like the, the, the framework works well for both. Uh, the, the, the marketing uh, strategy is, is quite similar depending, regardless of program, the, the various tactics and like the, the tone and the style um, of the content will vary depending on who those personas are. But in terms of like the, the framework that we're starting out with it, it's the same. And, and, and maybe, maybe, maybe a, a core difference between these two larger groups is, is simply that the future self for that degree completion audience, you need great content that's going to speak to outcomes as soon as humanly possible. Whereas for the adult learner, maybe you can rely on a slightly longer horizon, a slightly longer time frame for them to to realize that that return on their investment of, of time and, and, and money in, in a in a grad grad program. So I, I like this I like this yep. this framework because I think it's it's super helpful. And it's you know, it's something that I feel like we all instinctively know and yet it's like harder to actually implement when we <laughs> when we start like working on mapping out these strategies in these campaigns. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of interested in like, you know, when, when, when building out one of these campaigns, like what are, what are some of the, the tactics that are, that you guys think that are typically included and, or need to be included? Like, does everyone need a blog still? Do, do, does everyone need video? Like, does, does everyone need to be on TikTok? Like, talk to us about like, as you guys think through mapping out these campaigns and your respective teams think through this, can you guys give us a couple examples of like, what are the most important tactics to have within this future self framework? So I hate to say it depends, but it does depend on the program and the audience, right? But I think as a whole, you know, what we typically like to do is, is let the data kind of guide us on, on where we go. Right. So, um, you know, tactically speaking, I guess, you know, the, the way I would look at it is if it's an established program versus not, I think that would kind of have, have some, you know, influence in our, and how we would approach it. But, you know, I think it's, you know, those individuals, I think when you try to work with top of funnel prospects on the degree completion side, it's, it's difficult, right? Yeah. It's, those individuals are hard to find, right? So I think I think identifying and targeting those individuals more at the middle and the, and the bottom of the funnel. So I think content is still really critical. I think the, the degree completion market is is competitive. So I think delivering and and you know shipping content that's gonna 
help answer some of those fundamental questions that somebody who's exploring going back to school is going to be asking. Um, I think it's going to help you cut through some of that competition and, and target some of those long tail keyword opportunities and deliver some value to the student to help as they're trying to understand, you know, what program makes the most sense for them. They yeah. completed half of their degree at a university, you know, they're going to have a whole series of questions. And I think we can, you know, what we'll do is, is do some exploration um, at the beginning of the project just to understand what those questions are. We'll sit down with the enrollment team, you know, if there is, if there is one and, and see what kind of questions they're getting and we'll design and build content around that. Right. So, um, you know, I think that is really, that's really critical from a, from a, you know, paid search perspective. Most of most campaigns we launch are going to start, you know, very quickly with with paid search. Just from a demand perspective, we know we can target individuals who are, who are, you know, outright looking for a specific degree program, right? They're, you know, we can take advantage of a of branded if if the brand is is strong enough, right? So, I think some of those core fundamentals are going to always be there, and 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 I think, you know, even as those platforms become more expensive and more competitive. I think there's still going to be an element of, you know, looking at Google search just because you can target different phases of the funnel yeah. and even Facebook, you know, because there's so much volume there and you can segment, you know, better than anywhere. Um, I think those, you know, those are still going to be critical, but I think really where you can get creative and where, where we where we diverge from that is when you look at these individual personas under each, under each, you know, specific program. Right. So like I said, there could be five different personas and keep in mind when I say persona, that's kind of a, a shell. We might build 50 audiences underneath that persona, but sure, I think at sure. the core, we know what those individuals care about. And I think if you look at, you know, our job as marketers and, and I, I always stress to my team not to overcomplicate marketing, right? If we know what these individuals care about, where they're trying to go and where they interact and how we can engage with them, I mean, that's ultimately what we're trying to do, right? So what we'll look at is, you know, a few of the audiences we're, we're, we're working with, you know what, maybe out of home and connected TV, we can connect more efficient, more efficiently with them. Yeah. And now being able, being able to do that with, you know, the tracking mechanisms and we can track ROI, that's a possibility, Right. We've, you know, we've deployed, uh, you know, a, uh, you know, geofenced a billboard at a, a major hospital system, knowing for an R and BSN program, that's, we're going to get a lot of eyes on that and generate a lot of interest. Right. But so we'll, you know, I think that's really where we'll diverge. We have our kind of our core of what we know works and where we can gather data and where we can learn about these audiences and then use that to, to not only expand those campaigns and, you know, in Google search and Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn, but also, you know, use that to help inform other efforts and help evolve our messaging and, and explore TikTok, explore podcasts, you know, and, and, uh, you know, kind of expand out from there. Yeah. I, yeah. Go ahead, Angie. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just, yeah, I was going to say, I don't think we would ever back to kind of your original question. We would never advise anyone to put all their eggs in one basket of just, you know, focus on content and that's it. I think, you know, every institution, every program is going to need some combination of SEO, organic content, and paid advertising and marketing, whether it's on social, Google, et cetera. Um, one of the things that Clayton mentioned, though, is that's gotten so expensive. I mean, higher education is one of the most expensive, you know, search categories there is. So, you know, the, the area that I focus on and my team um, here at Archer really is about the digital student experience. And so, you know, Clayton's team on the marketing side is helping generate that awareness and the, and the lead. Um, 
but because of those costs, you can't afford to let any of those prospective students that raise their hand and say they're interested to just go by the wayside and not have a really robust um, content or excuse me, follow-up strategy and nurturing strategy to make sure that once someone said that they're interested, that you are keeping them engaged you know, um, digitally and, you know, using your admissions team, obviously, but how are you going to not only stand out on the marketing side and getting them interested and aware, but again, like once they've said that they're interested, what are you doing to continue to follow up, keep them engaged, have one-on-one conversations, whether that's with a human being and the admissions team, or, you know, again, digitally and how they're interacting with your web properties and things like that. How do you take that conversation from, you know, we know a little bit about you from this level of like personas and targeting to we're talking to you as an individual human. It's just, again, it's gotten too expensive to not be sophisticated in your in your follow-up strategy and keeping those prospective students engaged. We've talked about a lot of the key information that you need to be um, delivering and getting in front of prospective students. And so that's, you know, one way to do it is just to continue to follow up and get the information in front of them. Um, so yeah, those are things going on in my mind when you talk about just the marketing tactics, um, it's, you know, what are you doing beyond just the marketing piece as well? Yeah. Yeah. And what's, what, what I love about that, Angie is especially like, I feel like if you are an admissions team, especially an under-resourced admissions team of which there are many who listen to this podcast, um, the, the challenge can be like to think, oh, we just need to, we need to we need marketing to spend more or we just need, we need a larger marketing budget or we need a lot, we, we need to be spending more on paid search or more on paid social or whatever. But like the reality, and, and that might be true, but there's also just an, a ton of work to do in, in getting creative about what is your engagement strategy? Like what is your post inquiry strategy? And I, I, I find that more people spend time thinking about what needs to happen to get some folks to a website, right, or, or to a landing page, and not nearly enough time thinking about what the heck they do once they're there. Or God forbid, like once they've actually gone through the form or raised their hand and expressed interest, it all of a sudden just becomes, it's it becomes so transactional. And the assumption is that like, they're ready to apply, right? Like, hey, great, you've, you've filled out this RMI, you're here you go. Here, here's the application button, right? Here are five buttons that say apply now, like in, in every color with every font that you could possibly imagine. Like, and I think that like most admissions teams that are strapped that or, or that are falling behind on their numbers, they would be wise to get really creative and excited about what their engagement strategy with their existing prospects needs to look like and how that needs to change rather than saying to leadership, we just need to go spend more money. We just need more leads. Right there, though, there's a there's usually a, a divide between strategically, right? Marketing has their objectives, and it's easy to throw more money at the problem, right? Yeah. Like for some schools, not everybody has a budget, but it's easier just to throw more money when you know when you look at the the enrollment side, where you can you can tighten up areas on both, right? From like maximizing the value, the traffic you're already generating on the marketing side, and then tightening up your nurturing strategy, you know, on the other end, and a lot of times you're, those two teams aren't necessarily in sync to help, to help coordinate that. Right. Yeah, the, yeah. the enrollment team saying, I, we don't have enough, we don't have enough leads to work. So marketing says, okay, let's, you know, let's continue throwing money at it. When, you know, what I like to do is before we throw any money at anything, 
let's focus on CRO and the marketing side yeah, and yeah. make sure we're, we're maximizing the value of the traffic we're already generating. And then post RFI, let's look at where we can tighten up that funnel. Let's look at the funnel. Let's look at the conversion rate throughout. Where are the pain points, right? Let's focus there, you know, highest impact, lowest, you know, lowest amount of work possible kind of opportunities, but then design, you know, our strategies based on that. Right. Um, I don't know. It's just a, it's always a, there's just a, a kind of a, this push and pull on, you know, marketing and recruitment. And, and I think it's easier to throw money at it than to take a step back and fix what's already in place. I think for most, for most groups. Absolutely. I think conversion rate optimization across your entire funnel, every, at every point that you want someone to take the next step, look at your conversion rates and what you can do to fix those to, because to Clayton's point, I guarantee you there's something on your website or landing page you could make better and get more conversions from the money that you're already spending today on marketing. I guarantee there's, you know, there aren't many uh, schools or programs that couldn't do something to bump up those conversion rates. But then also, you know, whether it's you're pumping more money into marketing or you've done a better job of converting your traffic to leads, when you see those leads go up, do you see application rates go up at the same rate? Because, I, you know, typically you get to this point where, you've got more leads, your admissions team, to your point earlier, can't necessarily get in contact with all those leads. Today, that can be because of both volume and or just a very phone averse audience. People don't want to pick up the phone anymore and talk to someone unless they have this like higher comfort level with where they're at in that decision. So, you know, how can you make sure that when you've got this bucket of leads, what are all the different things you can do an engagement strategy to make sure that they can take that next step and start an application finish their application. Um, you know, think about uh, this utopian world that you could live in where maybe your admissions team, you know, only spoke on the phone to, or got to speak on the phone to those that are truly interested. They want to take the next step forward. We know that because of how they've been engaging and what they've been doing digitally. And now they're actually ready to pick up the phone and, and talk to you or, or answer a phone call. So I think there's a lot that can be done in that engagement strategy um, post RFI. And again, even, you know, from your, from your web properties before someone even fills out that, that form. Um, so yeah. Yeah. This is great guys. My, my, my last question is we've been talking a lot about like, you know, attracting these, these audiences, enrolling these audiences, but obviously like we, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about like the retention component. Um, and you know, it, it's, I think one of the, one of the biggest, silos and one of the biggest gaps in higher ed is like how enrollment teams relate with student success teams right and i think that there's a lot of opportunity to get better <laughs> at uh breaking down right those silos and breaking down the friction that might exist between these departments so talk to us a little bit about like how you guys think about this and you know any any sort of like coaching or or strategies or solutions that you recommend to to archer clients with respect to um, how to, how, how, how to break down those silos? Like how, how do enrollment, how and why, I guess, should enrollment teams care more about student success? I'd say, I, I mean, I agree that this is probably one of the more, you know, overlooked areas, I think at night. So I think for us as an organization, it's an area we've been focusing on a lot, especially in our OPR side of the business. We do retention really well on that front. Um, from me, from like a marketing perspective, for me, it, all, it starts with bringing in the right mission aligned students into the pipeline from the beginning, mm -hmm. right? I don't have any anecdotal 
data or anything to draw upon. But for me, I'm a firm believer if we're if we're identifying the right audiences, if, if we're effectively communicating what makes a program unique, what the mission of the program is, and bringing in the right students, I think I know of a few specific examples where, where we have some tangible results with this and, and the kind of the long-term impact from a retention perspective. But I think that is really, really critical. I think you're, you're bringing in the right people who, who align with you know, the other individuals that they're learning with and kind of ultimate, ultimately kind of fit, you know, the, you know, fit the mold of, of, you know, who's going to be successful and, and are really bought into, to what a school, a program, you know, believes in. So to me, I think that's, that's really critical for us as well. We're also looking at how do we establish at least from a baseline, establish feedback loops between marketing, enrollment, retention, right? Mm. I don't think I've ever seen this happen. And we honestly haven't even still made this happen to its full extent yet. If we're working with like a retention team on campus, we do this really well internally, but if we're working with a, with the team on campus, which we do a lot on, on my side of the, of the business, um, you know, we're working with internal teams, just having that feedback loop, I think could be really, really helpful. So what, what we're learning on the front end about the students coming into the program can help inform enrollment and retention. What retentions, what student success is learning about in the classroom, there might be elements of the experience that we can utilize to, to you know, in the marketing phase of, of, of the work. Or, or we can, you know, there's just so much value from the information that we can share with each other. And, and one thing I always look at is a lot of the work, especially if we're doing any content marketing work or digital PR, there's a lot we can do to repurpose content and continue, you know, reinforcing those individuals who are in a program, say it's a two-year program, they're a year in, you know, they're, you know, a year after they were, you know, they entered a program when you're at that peak excitement, it's, you know, they're kind of, it's a lot of work, life catches up to you, they're debating if they want to continue, or it's, you know, we need to continue to reinforce the original reason they got excited and, and really help them visualize that future self again, right? So I look at a lot that we do on the marketing side, we can repurpose a lot of that to support the student success team and give them a reason to reach out to, to the students to share, you know, uh, a piece we did in, in a publication where a professor's talking about something we know they're really passionate about, right? And kind of, I don't know, it's just, there's a lot we can do to, you know, from a, a economy as a scale perspective too. I mean, we're already putting, we're already investing in these assets on the marketing side. Let's look at how we can use those to reinforce, you know, and, and continue nurturing that individual, even though they're in the program already and just make sure we're, we're still connecting the dots there for them on, on where they're going and, and why they initially got excited about the program. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like that, that whole idea too, of like, you know, when you buy something from like a DTC, a DTC brand, um, and you like still see like their Instagram ads. Like I'm always like, you know, why the hell is like athletic greens continuing to market me? Like I'm already a customer. Right. But at the same time, yep. it's like, well, it's a subscription. Right. And at any time, if I lose affinity for the brand, right. If I, if I, if I start doubting whether or not athletic greens is actually doing anything for me and I cancel, like it's harder for them to acquire a new customer than it is to continue to advertise to me. So it's, it's that same sort of idea. It's like, how do you continue to market to people that have already bought your product, especially when it's an expensive product and especially when it's a, a product that like won't be fully delivered for, you know, a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. I think the, you mentioned earlier, like what, 
what's the importance there? Like, why is it important for these groups to have that feedback loop? And that's really, I think, ultimately in this idea of creating a better experience um, and creating better outcomes, really, you know, um, helping helping prospective students and students understand where they're going, help make help helping to make sure they're still on the path and, and moving forward in their journey. And I think if you kind of use that lens for no matter where they are in that journey, I think that that's, that's the importance here is creating that consistency. Um, You know, and I think too, like look at, if you can look at, you know, with this idea of the feedback loop, your most successful students in a program and try to understand what they have in common, what makes them successful, you can get a lot out of that. So, you know, if you're, if you're, whether you're using the data that you have in your SIS or your LMS, like what is it that these students have in common? How can you A, go out and use that to get more of those types of students because you know that they have the right affinity for the program and the, what it takes to be successful, but also, you know, how, do you, how can you then use that information to help cater the program to them um, and continue to do so for those new students that are coming in as well? Um, and then the last thing I wanted to touch on to that question, too, is just the proactive versus reactive nature, you know, of retention um, and the feedback loop. So, you know, rather than waiting until someone doesn't log in for a class or turn in an assignment or starts to get bad grades, what can you be doing? I think this is kind of to your on the ads front. If you've already purchased something or I continue to serve ads, what can you do to kind of engage with a student once they've already enrolled uh, leading up to a start, the first week of classes, their first entire semester, just to make sure they're still engaged and feeling the love and feeling good about where they're at. Do they have any challenges? Um, you know, we work with our clients or our partners and universities to send out pulse check surveys to mm. ask, you know, instead of waiting and having a trigger that might, might be too late, they're already disengaged. Um, sending reminders um, of, you know, what needs to be done in the first week and things like that, success tips for, you know, how to how to succeed in the class, but also, hey, how you doing? How are you feeling about things? And actually letting them answer, like within an email or a text message that says, you know, I'm feeling good, or hey, I think I might need some help. So there's a lot of, lot of different things there in terms of, you know, again, creating the feedback loops, making sure that you give uh, students a place to to have that kind of engagement and to be able to let you know kind of where they're at too. I think it's really important. Very, very, very well said. Well, guys, this has been a blast. Um, thanks everyone for for tuning in to episode three of Attention Retention, which is a special podcast collaboration between Enrollify and Archer. If you want to learn more about Archer and all the great work that Clayton, Angie, and the team are up to, you can scroll down to the show notes and click on over to their website and learn a little bit more about how they help institutions um like yours but angie clayton as always it's been a pleasure thanks so much for your time thanks for having us thanks zach appreciate it